The following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Last month, a friend of mine who lives in L.A., he was at a coffee shop, and he was just doing some work on his laptop, and he got robbed. And ironically, he's a criminal justice lawyer, and he posted the security camera footage on his Facebook and it shows exactly kind of how it all went down. If you can play the video, I'm just going to apologize up front for the poor quality. But he's, he's the guy sitting on the top left, sitting there with his laptop. And the guy just snatches it and runs off. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It was funny because on Facebook, someone asked if he'd called the cops, and he said, I reported it because it's a grand theft felony, and maybe if they catch them, then my law firm can defend them. Then it's a (laughs) win-win. So, you know, I'm glad he wasn't hurt, and I'm glad he could have a sense of humor about it. He never got it back, if you're wondering. But it's amazing to me that someone would steal something like this so brazenly. You know, it's in public, it's in broad daylight, It's not like he left his laptop and he went to the bathroom. I mean, he was literally sitting down with his computer. It was inches away from him, and he still got robbed. And seeing this video made me think about, you know, that all of us share this kind of thing in common, that something is stolen from us every single day. It's extremely valuable, and yet we never suspect that we can be robbed of it. And so for that very reason, it's taken from us consistently, and often even without us knowing it. And it's, it's our joy. And in John 10.10, 10, Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what is it that the evil one wants to take from us? He cannot take away our salvation, right? I believe that's secure once we receive Christ by faith. But he can rob us of our joy. And I believe that there are spiritual forces that are hard at work every day to do just that, to steal your joy. And I think part of the reason why we struggle to be joyful is because we do not guard it from being stolen from us. If you aren't aware of how susceptible you are to getting robbed, and if you're not prepared to protect it, it can be taken from you. Just as easily as my friend's laptop was taken from him, right? You know, I, uh, I love my job, but uh, one of the downsides of being in ministry is that, you know, when you preach or teach on a subject, you can pretty much guarantee that the enemy will do everything in his power to, um, to work against you. So um, I've been preparing for just Satan to rob my joy. <laughs> um, and this week was a tough week for me. Uh, earlier in the week, I got pulled over by a cop for swerving on the road. It was late at night. I was driving. I think he thought I was drunk. I haven't gotten pulled over in like over 10 years. And I was like, oh, man, here it comes. Um, a couple days ago, I walked, you know, we um, were trying to sell our home. It hasn't been selling. It's been like four months now. And uh, I walked in. It was like 80 degrees in the house. And I'm like, oh, man, this is bad. And, of course, the AC unit was out. It's going to write a big check to fix it. And then, you know, we, I've got news, as you guys know. Um, you know, we have 
two children in our church now who have fevers and the doctors are still trying to figure out what's going on. One thing after another. And then last night was kind of a topper. Um, I, I found out that one of my, a guy that I knew in college, actually I'm really good friends with um, his older brother, he had passed away. I found out last night, just suddenly. About 40 years old. And there's so many things that can steal our joy in a given day, big and small. And it happens so often that we can, we can hardly even notice it, right? Someone cuts you off on the road. Your boss gives you extra work and no recognition. Your spouse says that one thing that pushes your hot button. Your jeans don't fit anymore. A friend deeply disappoints you. Someone at work refuses to pull their weight. You fall back into that habitual sin. Your kids don't listen to you. You tweak your lower back. Your car starts making funny noises. There are so many things in our daily lives that try to steal our joy. Can anyone relate? Now that I've shared this list, has anyone noticed in the last few weeks that your joy, too, has come under attack? I think the first step to protecting your joy is to be aware of that, that it's happening to you, right? That it's being stolen. And that second is equipping yourself with what God has given you to defend it. And so over the next uh, couple weeks, I'm going to highlight a few things that the enemy often uses to rob us of our joy. And also try to share with you some practical insights into how we can be prepared to protect it. And I hope it will raise not just awareness, but spiritual awareness and make us more vigilant and ready when our joy is being stolen from us. And the Bible says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and spiritual forces of evil. So we need to be spiritually aware. So let's turn to our text for today, which comes from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. You can follow along on the screen. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When Paul addresses the church in Thessalonica, he says almost the exact same things that we find in these verses, just a bit more concisely. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says this. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so when Paul calls the people of God to rejoice... He doesn't just tell us to proclaim our joy. He also tells us how to protect it. And how do we protect it? Through prayer and thanksgiving. And anxiety can rob us of our joy, but the discipline of prayer and giving thanks protects our joy because it redirects us back to the source of our joy, and that's God himself. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you 
that your word not only gives us the path to your joy, but it guides us in how to protect it. Won't you open our eyes to the forces of evil that seek to steal our joy? And won't you grant us more of your spirit to protect and to increase our joy? Help us to nurture and to grow this fruit so that our joyful witness might be a light to those around us for, you, for our good and for your glory. Amen. Uh, if you recall, a few weeks ago, I opened this series of joy up by unpacking this first verse that we just read in Philippians 4. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And during that introduction to this series of joy, I explained how joy for the believer is not dependent upon how we feel or the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but our joy rests upon the one who is the source of all true joy. That's God himself. And in the second message of the series, we looked at some of Jesus' last words to his disciples in the upper room and his instruction on how they might receive his joy. And Christ makes it clear that the first step in finding his joy is to abide in him, like a branch to a vine, to pursue an intimate union, a oneness with Christ. And last week we discovered that in addition to loving God and being in union with him, and out of that love we receive from him, our joy would be made complete only when we loved one another, just as God has loved us. In other words, our joy would not be found in seeking it solely for ourselves, but in seeking it for others through loving them. And as we continue in the text today, I want to move towards some more practical instruction on how we might protect the joy that we find in him. You know, upon calling God's people to rejoice, Paul follows with this. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This word reasonableness is an interesting word that Paul uses here. It's actually translated in a lot of different ways in English. It's, uh, if you, you know, depending on what version you're reading, you'll see it as uh, reasonableness, considerate, gentleness, graciousness, fairness, forbearance. Because there really isn't just one English word, I think, that can do it justice. But at the root of this word is this sense that I am not someone who is going to insist upon my own personal rights or what I think I'm entitled to. But I'm someone who's humble enough to to yield all that I have for your good and for your benefit. That's what reasonableness is talking about. It all begins with this attitude of humility, which is then demonstrated as selflessness. You know, we've been uh, wrapping up our summer small groups, and I've been collecting evaluations from everyone that's participated, and it seems that Almost everyone was really blessed, uh, you know, by the groups that they joined. And I was thinking about, you know, all the different, different studies that we offered this summer and all these various topics. And I realized that, you know, almost all of them began with this common thread. And that's what we have does not belong to us. You know, our brother A.B. mentioned that even as he was praying for Anora and Zelda. Even our children, who we're trying to steward as parents, don't really belong to us. They belong to the Lord, don't they? Our finances, our marriage, our very lives ultimately don't belong to us. They belong to God. And when we approach life with that attitude, not one of it's my rights and it's about my entitlements, but instead it's about God's gifts to me and my stewardship of those gifts, 
then I think you begin to, to be less fearful of losing what you have, and you find more happiness in enjoying what you do have. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons why our joy can be stolen from us is because we falsely believe that the things that we treasure dearly, our marriage, our children, our finances, our lives, we believe that they can be taken from us. But when you study the Bible, you begin to realize that nothing we have actually belongs to us. It all belongs to God. We're not entitled to, nor do we have the rights to, anything. We're all just stewards of all of God's gifts to us. We manage it, but God owns it. It's a simple concept, and yet it's one that's so difficult to, to fully embrace. You know, in the, in the finance study that our, you know, our brother Phil had led this past summer, one of the first things that you do is, is you sign this quit-claim deed in which you physically sign this, uh, this paper, a certificate, you know, which is ownership of all your assets, and you symbolically give it over to God. And I think until you can get to this place where everything you possess in life um, will actually possess you until you can get to this place where you just understand it's God's, it's not mine. But if you can reframe your perspective that it all belongs to God, it can be actually incredibly liberating. And it can set you free from the anxiety of losing anything. And I think one of the great weapons that Satan uses to rob us of our joy is just that. He uses anxiety and worry. And this is why Paul tells us, don't, don't be anxious. He knows that it's impossible to protect your joy from being stolen when you're overcome with worry and you're overcome with anxiety. And yet that is one way in which we're under constant attack, isn't it? And I came across this quote that I think says it well. It says, Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. Even the world recognizes that worry and joy cannot coexist. You know, when I was working in the corporate world, whenever our CEO would come into town, he'd often hold a town hall meeting for all the employees. And in this meeting, we could ask him any question. And one question that someone would always ask was, what keeps you up at night, Mr. CEO? And if you think about it, it's just another way of asking, like, what, what are you most anxious about as the leader of our company? And it's an interesting question because I think it has a way of quickly defining what's most important to you right here, right now. So let me ask you the same question. What's keeping you up at night these days? If you sleep well, well what, what worries you the most? Right? Take a moment. Just think about it and be honest with yourself. What is that for you right now? As we learned in past weeks, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians from a, a Roman jail. And he doesn't know for certain if he's going to live or die. And there's nothing really in his current circumstances that should give him reason, at least from the world's point of view, to be joyful. Yet in the midst of his own circumstances, Paul is rejoicing. And he's calling God's people to rejoice, to choose joy by not being anxious about anything. Right? Well, what does it mean 
to be anxious. It, the dictionary defines it as experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. This is the textbook definition of anxiousness or anxiety, but I found a, a different one on the internet that I think actually captures the feeling and the emotions of anxiety and our typical response to it, I think, a bit better. And it says this, anxiety is one, the feeling where you stay up late at night, stare at your ceiling, ask yourself an infinite number of questions, then sit there and debate on whether or not you actually want to know the answer. Anxiety is the feeling where you wonder who truly cares about you and who's just using you. Who's there for you and who's desperately wanting you to fail? Anxiety is the feeling where you feel like you're not good enough, that you need to be this, this, or this to be successful and liked. Anxiety is the feeling where you get frustrated because it's physically impossible to be 100% happy. You want someone to vent to, but no one will understand you. Anxiety is the feeling where you question your value, your worth, your pride, yourself, everything, and you think, overthink, all night. All you're left with is you, yourself, in a very dark place. Have any of you been there? I know I have. Can any of you relate to these feelings right now? I think I can. But we're told, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice the absolute words that Paul uses here. Don't be anxious about anything, anything. But in everything, everything, we are to do, what are we to do when we feel anxious? We're to pray. You know, it really shouldn't surprise us that our joy would be under constant spiritual attack. Because if joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, then it is a spiritual thing, isn't it? And so I think it only makes sense that to harm something that is inherently spiritual, it has to be fought on that level too, right? It goes both ways. And so to grow something and protect something that is spiritual, it must be done spiritually. And there are few acts that are more spiritual than the discipline of prayer. There is nothing that engages our spirit and invites the work of the Holy Spirit into our lives like prayer. And when we are anxious, we're often frozen in fear, right? But when we pray, it's like being frozen in faith. When you pray, you're forcing yourself by faith to just stop everything you're doing, and in the quietness of your heart, letting your spirit speak to the spirit of God. You're sharing with him your heart, your worries, your troubles. And in this way, anxiety and worry is really not that much different from prayer and meditation, if you think about it. When we get anxious about something, we often let these worst-case scenarios kind of play in our head over and over again, right? We let these negative thoughts these debilitating fears reverberate 
in our minds. And sometimes it can get so bad, you, we can't eat, can't sleep, we can't do anything. I've been there. And God in his mercy is saying, take your deepest desires, take your greatest worries, and bring them to me. Don't repeat them within the echo chambers of your own mind. Repeat them to me. And when we pray, we're engaging in something that is similar, but also fundamentally different from being anxious because we're actively taking our worries, right, our anxieties from ourselves, and we're giving them to the Lord. We're directing our mind and our hearts upwards instead of inward. And it is then that we invite the Holy Spirit into our troubles. Not because there's something magical about saying a prayer, but because there's a posture of humility and there's an act of faith in a sincere prayer that makes room for God to enter and to move and to do his work. But Paul's instruction, notice, is not just to pray. It's to pray prayers of supplication. What does that mean? What are prayers of supplication? Supplication simply means to ask or to make a request of God for something. We're not interceding for another person. We're not thanking God for something. We're not confessing our sins. In supplication, we're simply asking God what it is that we want. We're expressing the desire of our heart. And we're asking God to give it to us. But why does God find it necessary for us to ask him for anything when he already knows what we need and what we want? And when Jesus addresses the crowds in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he says something that's very similar to Paul. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. For the Gentiles, they seek and worry after all, all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. He already knows. So if God already knows what we need, why would he ask us to go through the trouble of telling him what we need? Doesn't it seem kind of pointless? Paul says, go to the Father in prayer and tell him exactly what you need. Supplication. In everything, by prayer and supplication. Tell him. Tell him as if he doesn't know at all. Bingham Hunter, in his book, The God Who Hears, he speaks to this mystery when he writes, What can you tell God if he knows everything? Western logic says nothing. Jesus says anything. The point is that since God already knows everything, everything about you and still loves you, then there is nothing you can tell him that will change his feelings for you. And seen this way, God's omniscience, his all-knowing power, is not a liability. It's the source of interpersonal liberation. He goes on to say this, In our Lord we have someone with whom we can share our anger, our joy, fear, frustration, delight, our endless struggles with sin, hurt, or loneliness. We can share our real selves. This is the powerful, liberating honesty which should result from understanding God's omniscience. With God, we can be somebody, ourself. We don't have to be anybody else. 
Tell God your dreams. Tell him your hopes. Tell him the desires you have to make something out of yourself. You know, as I was reading this quote, I realized it addresses so many of the triggers that we identified and the questions that swirl in our heads when we define what anxiety is. Does anyone truly care about me? Can I ever be good enough? Could I ever be understood and accepted for who I am? Am I valuable to anyone? And the answer to all of this is a resounding yes. Yes. The one who knows you better than anyone else in the universe loves you more than anyone else in the universe. He knows what you need before you ask. But he still wants you to ask. Because in this simple act of asking, I'm confessing to God who he is. I'm confessing to God who I am in him. I'm acknowledging that he loves and that he cares for me. I'm affirming the truth that I am his beloved child. So ask. You know, our anxieties can be a gift from God if we let it reveal what is in our hearts and what we don't want to admit. And that's what anxieties do, I think. They, they actually reveal what it is that we love most, at least in the moment. God already knows what we love most, but our anxiety reveals it to us. And this is when anxiousness can be redeemed, right? Be honest about your anxieties. What is it that you're most fearful of losing? Let your anxieties awaken your heart to, to see what it is that you truly treasure in your life. And let your prayers align yourself to see him as your greatest treasure. You know, when I was in high school, I came across this poem. Uh, it's believed to be written by a soldier during the Civil War, and I think it's a powerful example of how God hears and answers our prayers. I want to read it for you. It says, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I ask for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches, that I might be happy. I was given poverty, that I might be wise. I asked for power, that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness, that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things, that I might enjoy life. I was given life, that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I'd hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all people, most richly blessed. What a beautiful testament to how God works through prayers. Notice that these were all prayers of supplication. Requests that were made of God, to God. Notice also that if he had never bothered to even ask anything of God, he would not have even noticed that God had given him immeasurably more than he asked for, more than he had even imagined. 
You see, even when we ask for things that even God may not ultimately want for us, God still wants us to ask. Why? Because only in the asking can we begin to see that God wants more for us than we even want for ourselves. That God knows what's best for us, better than we could possibly know for ourselves. And when we ask, we see his heart, we see his wisdom, and we allow ourselves to be touched by his love. Notice his response to the answers, to the prayers of his heart. Though it wasn't the prayers on his lips, the realization that I am among all people most richly blessed. This is the purest expression of joy that comes from thanksgiving. To look back and to recognize the undeserved favor of God upon your life, to realize that God has given me every single one of my heart's desire, but it was found in more of him and less of me. And this is where true happiness lies. Paul says that we're not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When the enemy seeks to steal our joy, we need to protect it by not just praying, prayers of supplication, but by giving thanks. Not just when things are going well, but in all circumstances. This is a discipline, much like prayer, because it requires a lot of thoughtful meditation, if you think about it, right? How often do we do this? How often do we stop and give thanks? Maybe once a year around a big turkey in November. But Paul says, do it all the time. When times are good, when times are bad, when life is easy, when life is hard, give thanks in all circumstances. And when you can learn to always give thanks, even when life is hard, I think what you will discover is that even the hardships of life are something that you can be thankful for. You know, uh, this picture was um, taken five and a half years ago in March of 2012. And at the time, my wife Kim was two months into a very intense chemotherapy regimen. And... um, she would have good days and bad days and mostly bad days, to be honest. And on this particular day, she was, she was feeling relatively okay. And it was like almost 70 degrees this March day, which is really unusual in this area, right? And so we decided we're going to go outside and we're just going to enjoy this day. And we found this secluded park near our home and we just had some family time in the park. And I don't know if you can see our smiles, the smiles on these faces, but... I don't think you'd be able to tell that what we were going through as a family at that time just by looking at the picture. But there's there's genuine happiness there. And as I was reflecting on that day, on that later that day, I wrote this on my blog. I said, when you realize that a new day is never promised to you, you quickly learn to savor the small moments each day has to offer. The little things you used to take for granted become big gifts from God. The presence of sunshine, the absence of pain, the laughter of children, the breeze on your face, all gifts of grace from the giver of every good and perfect gift. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. For you. 
When you exercise the discipline of giving thanks daily in all circumstances, you'll find joy daily in all your circumstances. Because a thankful heart is the best protection from having your joy stolen. You know, when my children pray, it's often, it's often to be honest, a, a list of these mindless thank yous. Right? Thank you for this day, thank you for this video, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> but giving thanks in all circumstances, true gratitude, I think really comes from sitting down and not just offering up cliches to God, but reflecting upon all that you are thankful for. You know, not long after I showed that picture, actually before I showed that picture, two weeks into my wife's cancer journey, it, it was just very overwhelming. You know, there's a lot of touch and go moments. And I remember I, I sat down, I just tried to write down all the things that I was thankful for in that moment, two weeks after she was diagnosed. And I just want to share with you some of this list. I think I've shared part of it with you before. And I wrote this, that cancer, I was thankful for cancer because cancer had, has given me a renewed sense of God's presence in my life. That cancer has refocused my priorities to the things which matter, faith and family and friends. Cancer has forced me to my knees in daily dependence upon God's grace and God's provision. Cancer has humbled me and revealed that I control little to nothing in my life. Cancer has given me a heart of love and compassion towards others in a way I didn't think was possible. Cancer has helped me to see that God is not ignorant of, my, of our suffering, nor is he uncaring of our pain. Cancer has demonstrated the great love of Christ through the body of Christ, through the church. Cancer has awakened me to the brevity of this life and fostered a greater hope in the life to come. Cancer has helped me to appreciate each new day as a gift from God. Cancer has not made me more bitter towards God, but more awed by his wonder. And, you know, when I reread this list, it made me realize that so much of what I realized I was thankful for is how this terrible disease had drawn me closer to the God, to closer to God and to the things of God. And it made me realize how much God loves me. And how everything we truly need is found in Christ Jesus. My desire for love, for happiness, for joy, for security, for meaning, for purpose, every single one of these things is ultimately found in Jesus. And it took cancer and it took depression to awaken this truth in my life. And I still need reminders of this daily. So what do we do with a message like this? How should we apply what we've heard? We're about two months away from Thanksgiving. And let's not make giving thanks like a once-in-a-year affair. If you struggle with finding joy or keeping joy, let me challenge you with this. Okay? Make it a daily practice between now and Thanksgiving, just a little over two months, to ask God for one new thing every day. And to thank God for one new thing every day. And before you carve that turkey this year, just sit down and reflect upon the impact that this has had on the amount of joy in your life. Can you do that? One thing to ask God for every day. One new thing to thank God for every day. Write it down. Make a list. 
and see what that does for your joy. Let's pray together. If you notice, everything that Paul lays out for us to do is meant to direct us toward God and away from ourselves. Praying a prayer of supplication is just telling God what it is that you want him to give you. And giving thanks is just meditating upon what God has already given you. Ask of him. Give thanks to him. 